People are yearning for information. Having the opportunity to encourage people and to educate people and inspire people. It's amazing to be able to say we'll carve out time to take care of ourselves. There's something for everyone. Moses is the president of Washington, D.C.'s new XFL team. The XFL will reimagine football for the 21st century. The new league is committed to delivering a fan-centric, innovative experience, including fast-paced games and a family-friendly environment, complemented by cross-platform viewing options and real-time fan engagement. Please welcome Eric Moses to HealthGig. First and foremost, thank you all for having me. I'm really honored to be here. So I'm a kid who grew up in central New Jersey and played sports, was always interested in sports, but very quickly became more interested in the business of sports than actually the playing, especially when it was clear I wasn't going to make a living pursuing any particular sport. <laughs> I wasn't big enough, fast enough, strong enough, or, or any of the other things that are required for that. I went to school in North Carolina, and I did what is unusual to many people. I went to UNC for undergrad and Duke for law school, and people think that that never happens. It's like you know going to Michigan and Ohio State or USC and UCLA, but it happens often, and it was great for me to go from the big public institution to a, a small private school for law school, and then have been in D.C. ever since I after law school and love it here. Can you tell our viewers what is the XFL and why is it called XFL? <laughs> that is the $500,000 question. So the XFL is a spring football league, the second incarnation, the first being in 2001, where our chairman and founder, Vince McMahon of WWE fame, partnered with NBC and Dick Ebersol in 2001 to launch a spring football league, then called the XFL. It lasted for one season, was responsible for some really great innovations in the way that we watch football and watch sports. I remind people often that the Skycam that is really commonplace now in all outdoor sports and other events was an XFL innovation. Miking players was another thing that they introduced that is now commonplace but wasn't done back then. So they pushed the envelope in some pretty interesting and innovative ways, and we all kind of benefited from it. They didn't quite get the football part of it right, and it came across, I think, to many football fans as a little too gimmicky and maybe felt like it had more of the hype and the ethos of wrestling as opposed to football. And so XFL 2.0, as we affectionately call our launch, will not be that way. One of my colleagues says it perfectly. What we want people to see when they come to a game or tune into a broadcast is football first that you know and recognize and is familiar in the XFL second. So we will have some innovations and some changes. We think a more exciting, a faster paced game, one that puts player safety first and also puts the fan first in terms of fan engagement and opportunities to really feel like their voices are heard in the game. But it's going to be football that you know and love. Do you remember watching the XFL? I mean, do Absolutely. you remember thinking anything about it or like thinking, well, I want to run that someday or I want to be part of that one day or anything? I, I, I wish I planned my life that well uh, in advance. I, mean, crazy, right? <laughs> I would not have thought that this would have crossed my path in this way or frankly that the XFL would be reborn. And as I've said to people who have asked me, yeah, it seems kind of risky. Why are you deciding to do that? I said, Vince McMahon is probably the foremost sports entertainment entrepreneur of his time. What he did with wrestling, which was essentially kind of regionally controlled enterprise with various different competitors around the country, 
essentially brought that together and now has a publicly traded company that he runs and distribution all over the world. So first things first, bet on people who have the vision and the wherewithal and the resources to get something big and ambitious like this done. And Vince McMahon is that person. And he's assembled a great cast of people, including Oliver Luck, who is our commissioner, who nowadays is known more to be Andrew Luck's dad as opposed to in his own right. So I think we have a really good shot at giving some entertainment to the 38 million avid football fans in this country who go into a little bit of a depression after the Super Bowl is over because they have no more football until the fall. How did Vince McMahon find you? And what exactly will you be doing for the XFL? I was recruited by executive search firm, as were many of my colleagues. And so my role is as team president for the D.C.-based team. We will have eight teams all over the country. Each of those teams will have a team president who is responsible for the business operations or what we call kind of the fan or fan engagement. And then we'll have a counterpart who is our general manager and coach. In our league, the coach gets to be the GM. So as they say, you get to pick the ingredients and make the stew yourself so they control personnel as well as coaching the team. And so we're partners in the enterprise in each of those eight markets with the the coach and GM running the football operations and us running the business operations. And so how will you be drafting the players? Is it going to be the same way the NFL does or how is that all going to work? Yeah, it's going to be a little bit of a hybrid. So we will have what are called summer showcases in all eight of our markets. And those will be a mixture between a combine like the NFL Combine, when guys come out and run and jump and lift weights and do things to show kind of their capabilities, and in one part, kind of a tryout. So it'll be a little bit of a mix. How will the rules be different than NFL or different than the previous XFL? The big departure, I think, will be because the standard is the NFL, right? And so everybody understands kind of from watching NFL what's allowed and what's not. We think we're going to have probably about a dozen or so rule innovations, all again intended to make the game faster. The average NFL game is about three hours and eight minutes. We want to get that down to two hours and 45 minutes. The average amount of action, if you will, or plays during that time is about 4% of that three hours. And so we want to get that up to about 15%. So when you're there, I mean, we're using your most precious asset, which is your time. We want to make certain that people are getting more of what they want, which is action. They want to see special people who are on that field do special things. And so our rules will be geared to allow that to happen more often. For instance, we will adopt a rule that the Canadian Football League has, the five-yard halo rule, which means on a punt, which can be one of the most boring plays in football, right? A lot of times with a punt, the offensive team lines up, punts the ball, the receiver is waiting there, waves his hand for a fair catch, and catches the ball, and then the play's over. Nothing happens. What we want to do is make certain that there are no fair catches, but you have to give the receiver a five-yard buffer between defenders and the receiver. That gives him an opportunity to make a play, to do something exciting, to maybe run it back for a long run or for a touchdown. And that's what we all want to see. Things like that will be intended to draw people into the game, but also to give the playmakers a chance to make plays. What about the coin toss? Will there be a coin toss or will it be the scramble? There, there will not be a scramble. <laughs> there will not be a scramble. I see someone's done their homework. <laughs> she couldn't believe it. She was like, wow. <laughs> yeah. So you're focusing on health, wellness, and the safety of players. And of course, that's what we're really interested in. Yeah. Are you focusing on that? As a startup league, that doesn't have a hundred years of history to protect and ways of doing things. 
wherever we can make a positive impact for the stakeholder groups that we care about, players, of course, fans, of course, our sponsors and broadcast partners, we're going to look to do that. And player safety is one of those where we can kind of try to get out in front of it as opposed to playing catch up or being responsive to things because there's a lot more information that's out there now than was, you know, even two years ago and certainly 20 years ago when XFL 1.0 occurred. So some of the rule changes will also be intended to make the game a bit safer. So you're talking about like concussions and that sort of thing and how it's going to yeah. be handled? You know, that's the part, I think, of injuries in football and in contact sports that's gotten the most attention and given, you know, the long term effects. But soft tissue injuries do happen more often and can be just as debilitating in the long term. And so I think that we'll be looking for ways to use data collection and innovation and equipment and technology to help us better be able to track player safety and player health, as well as tweaking those rules in ways that make the game a little bit safer. One of the ways is on our kickoff, we're talking about normally the kicking team and the receiving team are 20 or more yards apart on a kickoff. We want them to be five yards apart. So the kicker will be back behind the line of scrimmage, as will the receiver. So you have two people who are back, but the rest of the folks who are doing battle are much closer. So you don't have human beings turning themselves into bullets, running all the way downfield at very high rates of speed, very large men running very fast into each other. You bring that contact much closer and then it's much more of a skills game as opposed to just, you know, how hard can I smash into a guy? So I think things like that will also help to make the game safer. What about nutrition? Often football players struggle with obesity after football because they've spent their football days bulking up and eating and becoming, in quotes, bigger and stronger. Will that be anything that will be on the table for discussion at XFL? I'm not certain. It's a great point. And I think that as we get smarter as a society, frankly, about health and wellness, I think football players and professional athletes are getting that information as well. And I think in some ways, organizations like ours and the NCAA, NFL and others, your role really is to share the information that you have and collect with the players. Football and other sports are in many ways inherently dangerous, right? And I don't mean inherently dangerous in a way that death or anything like that. But I mean, you can get hurt. And it's just a fact of the matter. But if we're able to share information with people who want to play and want to participate, then they have the ability to go in eyes wide open. And I think you're seeing a lot of that information shared and pushed down farther into the kind of the youth leagues and all the way up so that parents and children and young people and adults have an opportunity to say, yeah, I know this can happen and here are the ways that I can try to combat that and protect myself. And this is what I'm going to do in order to do that. Or as you're seeing in the NFL now, I mean, there are some guys who have decided, you know, instead of trying to play 15 years in the league, maybe I'll play five or maybe I'll play eight and that'll be fine. And I'll be thinking earlier in my career about what do I do next? And that would include things like, how do I need to transform my body back to being someone who doesn't need to walk around at 285 pounds now, but as a regular person can be you know, 225 or 250 or whatever it is. So I think sharing the information is really going to be key. Our goal is to be part of the football ecosystem, right? And I think that's good for everybody who's involved in it. I get questions all the time about, well, how does the NFL feel about what you guys are doing? Well, they're the big boy in the space. And so anything that's good for football is really good for them. We know that there are about 28,000 guys that play football in college and about 300 get drafted every year. 
we know that there probably aren't 28,000 who can play professionally, but the number certainly is higher than 300. And so giving people an opportunity to pursue their dreams and to get paid to play a sport that they've been playing likely most of their lives, I think is a fantastic contribution that we can make to this society to give people a chance to pursue their dreams for some amount of time and to make a living doing that. Vince McMahon is well known for promotion and hype and all that. Will it be the same kind of promotion and hype as before or will it be toned down or how will that be? So it's separate company. The XFL is and will be a standalone operation and it'll have its own character and culture. This has got to be football. It has to feel familiar to football fans. It has to be something that strikes those familiar chords that get you excited and connect you back to the memories that many of us have of watching our favorite football teams, whether it's college or high school or professional. So certainly you have to promote because we're in a crowded marketplace for all forms of entertainment. So you have to promote. But I think that promotion will look more like what you typically expect for professional sports and not so much for the WWE. Will it be Monday night football? Is it going to be on Sundays? When are they going to play? Weekends, Saturday and Sunday primarily. And I think there may be one or two Thursday night games. But again, making it familiar. We're accustomed to watching football on Saturdays and Sundays. And so you'll be able to find it when you expect to find it. Who do you think is going to be our biggest rival? So geographically, I have to imagine New York because they're the closest to us. But, you know, there's a Washington-Dallas thing in this town and we've got a Dallas team. So I think there may be some people who have I Hate Dallas shirts already who might (laughs) be able to still wear those, you know, to our games. So I think there may be a little bit of that going on as well. And the games will be played at Audi Field. Correct. I love the venue. I think the venue is fantastic for soccer. I think it's going to be unbelievable for American football. It is about 20,000 seat capacity, but it is a very intimate feel. You are so close to the actual playing surface that I think this is going to provide an added dimension for people who have never been there and who have never seen football presented in that way. It's an ever-changing part of our city right now, kind of directly across South Capitol Street from Nationals Park. And I think it's going to be fantastic. People are going to love it. Why do you think it took 18 years for XFL to come back? Not only did it come back, but there were others who wanted to come back, too. The notion that there is a need that is not being met is clear. And we're not the only ones who got that memo. Others see that as well. I think Vince is a very smart man and I think needed to study the mistakes of the past, but also get a sense of, and he's better at this than most people, understanding his fan base and understanding what fans and what consumers really want. And I'm sure between the due diligence and research that they did, just determined that now was the right time to provide that additional three months of professional football, high quality football that people could plug into. As a leader of this new team, what's going to be important to you? I love that. I want to build a beloved D.C. sports team. I want this team to represent this community and this region and the values of this community. Broadly speaking, I want it to be the kind of team and players and coaches and administrators where people are proud to be represented by us. And really establishing the right kind of culture and the right kind of values from the very beginning is probably the most exciting part of this endeavor for me personally, is to make certain you get it right in the beginning. And I think we have a a unique opportunity to do that. I can imagine how exciting this must be for you to have this sort of runway to be creating something that obviously you're pretty passionate about with football and just all of this. It must be so much fun. It is fun. And, you know, the thing that I found is the most fun and and maybe a little surprising is 
how much people really love football. Like you kind of know that, but oh, we know that. that. We know but that. But I've had conversations with female friends and business colleagues and associates of mine that I had no idea were huge football fans and have had 30-minute conversations about football as a result of me taking this job. And I think it's just been eye-opening to understand how affected by football people are in this country. And I think that gives us a great opportunity, but one that we have to take very seriously. You know, sports teams are literally part of the public trust. I mean, they're not like other businesses. That emotional attachment, that representation of a geographic area, all those things are really serious. That's not the kind of thing you get with the local printing shop or car dealership or any other kind of business that may be local. People put their trust, their hopes, their dreams in professional sports teams and in sports teams generally in a way that they don't with other businesses. And I think we have to take that seriously because it's a luxury to have that opportunity to represent people in that way. To your point about how much people love football, my son, his name is Sam, for the last 15 years has been the very first person at the gate at FedEx Field before every game. So if the game's at four in the afternoon, he's there at six in the morning. He just is the first one to get into the tailgate. It's crazy. He's 34. You know, it's almost embarrassing <laughs> that so funny. this is a priority for him. You know, he's married professional. now. Yeah, professional. He's a professional guy. And to watch every man we know in our life, even if they're not at the game, they all put their jerseys on to watch the game. That's amazing. It's sort of their uniform. So the rest of us are like, you're going to put your shirt on to watch the game? But, but, but it's amazing because I admire Apple a great deal. It's a great company. I'm not going to put an Apple shirt on and walk around with it on or a hat or something like that because to cheer on you know, their fourth quarter results. It's just such a unique opportunity and a great responsibility and one that I'm really proud that the XFL has decided to allow me to participate in. Have you gotten a lot of response from players? How are they finding you? Are you finding them? They are certainly finding me. I'm sure. I'm sure. (laughs) They are finding me in all manner of ways, LinkedIn and Facebook and Twitter. And usually what I do is I send them to our football operations team. You know, they don't want me to evaluate talent or do any of that kind of stuff. Anyway, I send them to Coach and uh, Coach Hamilton and his team. Tell us about Coach Hamilton. He's fantastic. And a local guy in the sense that he was quarterback at Howard University in the early 90s. Great reputation and great credentials. Uh, Most recently was assistant head coach at Michigan with Jim Harbaugh. Before that was at Cleveland as an offensive coordinator. He was Andrew Lux, quarterback's coach at Stanford and then also with the Colts. He's been around and he knows the sport and loves it and is very well respected. It's weird because when we met, we knew a lot of people in common and I had been hearing about him for years and I won't say he had been hearing about me, but I certainly had been hearing about him for a while. And so it's kind of like we already knew each other. He's from North Carolina. He went to high school in Charlotte with some folks that I know. And so we were immediately kind of bonded to each other. And I'm looking forward to kind of pursuing this with him. How big of an operation do you oversee? Right now, it is as big as the person sitting in front of you. <laughs> it's a mighty team of one. Who are those operations people you're sending them to? <laughs> so we're startup. We're a well-capitalized startup, but we're still a startup. So you're looking for sponsors? Always, always looking for sponsors, yeah. Is the XFL going to want to be equal to the NFL or will you always be NFL and XFL? I mean, I don't want to speak for the chairman, but I think 100-year head start is hard to catch up. So I don't know that we could have competition at that level. I think what we're looking to do is if you go from the 90 million football fans in the U.S. down to kind of the next sports, NBA, MLS, 
you know, all the other sports, there's quite a drop off in terms of number of fans. So I think NHL and MLS are in the 30 million or so space. If there are 38 million avid football fans out there, I mean, that'd be a nice spot to occupy. And so I don't think we'll ever see ourselves competing with the NFL. I think in many ways we could end up being a proving ground, both for rule changes, for executives, for players, for coaches, for officials, and others who aspire to the top league in this particular sport, which is the NFL. And much like the MLS does now for English Premier League or La Liga or some of the European leagues that are really in terms of play and notoriety and fandom are much, much bigger than the MLS. Well, if you have a really great player in the MLS, chances are at some point they're looking to go to one of those bigger, more well-known, more well-established leagues where they can make more money, be seen by more people, et cetera. I suspect that our relationship with the NFL will look very similar. This whole description of the XFL and what's happening right now is just, it's all being reimagined. Can you talk about that and what that means? And are you being reimagined? There's a great Washington Post article by Rick Mace, who was embedded with the league for several months before it came out. And so he got to talk to the chairman. He got to talk to Oliver Luck. And that conversation between Mr. McMahon and Oliver Luck started with him challenging him to reimagine football. And so what that means is, how do we make it more interesting? How do we take the hundred years of history and tradition and look at it critically and say, well, what things do we want to keep because fans love that? And what things would we change if we could, if we weren't protecting 100 years of history and we could make things better? And that's the reimagining. It's not make the game completely different. It's not change it fundamentally. We have an opportunity to now kind of tweak the edges and do things that make it better for the consumer. Let's do that because there's no reason why we can't. And I would say it is causing me to reimagine myself a bit. I don't have the traditional sports background, so I'm a lawyer by training, worked in private practice, bought and sold TV and radio stations to start my career, and then went and work at AOL Time Warner when it was the biggest entertainment company on the planet. Had some government involvement for a while, ran a local business development agency for the city. And so I've done a lot and came into sports as somebody who had negotiated for a living, who was going to help make certain that the Nationals the stadium deal got finished or the project was done. There are some skills, experiences, and things that I'm going to pick up in this experience that maybe I didn't have as much of an opportunity to do given my particular path. And so I'm very much looking forward to that. And working with the other seven team presidents, because we're a single entity, meaning there's one guy who owns the entire league, we're not competing against each other. If I come up with a good idea that works in D.C., I have no reason not to call Janet in New York and say, hey, Janet, We're doing this as fan engagement in our stadium. You ought to try it and see if that works for you because we're all working together. And I think that ability to learn from my colleagues who have had different paths, some more traditional, is really going to help me kind of reimagine myself as a professional. And I'm looking forward to that. How important are mentors and who are yours? So important. Of course, my parents were mentors and exemplars for me in, in all ways, first and foremost, of just being a good person and caring about other people. There's a partner at my law firm, a guy named Michael Basile, who taught me what I know about being a lawyer and taught me about being accountable in a way that's different than just general accountability. I remember one time I was doing a deal and we thought we were going to be delayed in the closing. And so I had kind of taken my foot off the gas with a colleague who was responsible for something and something happened and the clouds cleared and, and the deal was ready to close and we weren't ready to go. 
to say that I was afraid that I was going to lose my job is probably an <laughs> understatement. But what came out of that was you're responsible for all of this. You're responsible from it from the beginning to the end. And I don't care if you're delegating pieces to other people. You are responsible for the entirety of this thing for our client. And you have to make certain that you're always ready. And that taught me a very valuable lesson and one that I've passed on to a lot of people. I like that. Yeah. What role has health and mindfulness played in your professional career? It's playing more of a role, I think, now. I mean, when you're younger, I don't know, I didn't think that much about it. You just take for granted that you're going to be healthy because you're young. So I recently started journaling. So I bought these journals that allow me to spend some time in the morning. I'll get up, I'll go. We have big picture windows in the back of my house and it overlooks Rock Creek Park. And I'll just stare at the trees for two minutes or so and just kind of try to center myself a little bit before I get my day started. And then write in my journal for a couple minutes, first thing in the morning, like, what am I thankful for? And being able to look back now over a couple weeks at those things that in the beginning of the day and at the end of the day, I was thankful for, I felt like I was lucky or fortunate to have accomplished. And it's helped me a lot. I'm getting ready, as you ladies know, to send a kid to college. And so I'm much more reflective these days than I have (laughs) been and wondering, you know, did you give them the right stuff to launch them and, and all of that. And so I find myself being much more mindful in all areas of my life and choosing what I say to people and how I say it to them, trying to be much more present in my interactions with folks. Because unfortunately, you know, at, at the age I'm at now, I mean, I have friends that are, that are not here anymore and you just can't take for granted that tomorrow's promised. One of the things we ask all our guests is what book they think everyone should read. The book Between the World and Me by ta Coates is one that was very, very impactful on me. It is essentially a book written to his 15-year-old son. For those who don't know, ta Coates is probably one of the foremost intellectuals in our country right now. He happens to be African-American, happens to have gone to Howard University, wrote for The Atlantic for a very long time, and has written several books. And that one spoke to me in a way that I don't think anything since the autobiography of Malcolm X has spoken to me. And it's essentially because I have two sons who happen to be black boys. It is about going through this life as a person of color, as a black male in particular, and all that comes along with that. All of the things that we have to be aware of, whether we want to or not, and have to pass on to our sons and making certain that that awareness is something that doesn't define who they are, but that they know they exist and they have to be cognizant of it. So it was very powerful for me. So I think everybody should read it because it says a lot about our country at a time when we need more understanding in our country. In all quarters, I think understanding those who are different from us is really important. And favorite quote? So one I use a lot, but I also think helps me to keep myself in check is, is the juice worth the squeeze? And so by that, you know, it's kind of a check for me on anything I may be ready to throw myself into to just ensure that the effort and the energy that I'm going to put into something, a project or a relationship or anything is worthwhile, is worth the byproduct that will come from it. So that's one of my favorites. Sounds like the XFL is worth the squeeze. Indeed. Indeed. Well done. Yes. Yes. I think it will be very much worth the squeeze. Well, we're so happy you joined us today and we just wish you all the best and we'll be there, won't we? 100%. Good. I hope you will be my guest. I hope you'll be my guest. Yes. Yes. (laughs) It'll be great. Thank you for joining us on Health Gig. We loved having you with us. We hope you'll tune in again next week. In the meantime, be sure to like and subscribe to this podcast and follow us on healthgigpod.com. I'm Trisha. And I'm Doro. Be well.